come, Lord God, move mightily in our world. And also move during this time now, Lord God, as we read your word and hear the word preached. Jesus Christ, would you shine your light into our dark hearts that we might see and believe and trust in the truth of your word and apply it to our lives that we might become more Christ-like this morning. We pray this for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen. Following Jesus has radically altered my life in a truly wonderful way. I, I sometimes wonder what would my life be like if I wasn't a Christian, if I hadn't put my faith in Jesus Christ, what would my life look like? Uh, I wouldn't be living in Fareham for a start. Uh, I wouldn't be married to Rachel either. I certainly and obviously wouldn't be the pastor of a church. But more than that, deeper than that, the way I think has been radically transformed by God through his Holy Spirit and through reading the word of God in the Bible. And my heart has been radically transformed by becoming a Christian as well. The things I care about, the things I love, the things that are meaningful to me has been radically altered by the love of Jesus Christ in my life from the moment that I put my faith in Jesus for salvation. I invite you, if, if you're a Christian watching this this morning, I invite you to think about how would your life be different if you weren't a Christian? What has changed in your life because you put your faith in Jesus Christ? And if you don't think your life looks very different because you're a Christian, then this sermon is going to be very challenging to you because this sermon is a sermon about the transformation that Jesus brings about in people's lives. Now, if you're not a Christian, have a think about this question. How do you think your life would change if you were to become a Christian today? What, what would you stop doing? What would you start doing? How would your life change if you became a Christian today? Take it from someone whose life has been radically transformed and whose life continues to be transformed by the love of God. If you were to put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation this morning, your life would change dramatically and wonderfully. And as I say, we're going to read from Matthew chapter four and see how when Jesus comes to a place, that place is transformed by Jesus's very presence. We're going to read Matthew four, Matthew chapter four, verses 12 to 20. We're continuing our sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to read Matthew 4, verses 12 to 25. If you've got a Bible at home, um, have it open and follow along. But if not, don't worry too much because the words will appear on the screen. Matthew 4, verses 12 to 25. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. 
From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, and those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Three stories recorded in Matthew chapter 4 and from those three stories I want to preach to you three points. Firstly from verse 12 to 17 our first point this morning is this Christ is the light that rescues us from the darkness. Secondly from verses 18 to 22 Jesus calls you to be a fisher of men respond immediately and thirdly from verses 23 to 25 the good news of Jesus's kingdom comes with power and healing now you might think those three points sound very distinct and very separate there's three different stories and three separate points but actually all three of those points and all three of those stories show us something very very important about Jesus Christ and what they show us is that Jesus dramatically transforms the lives of the people around him. In Zebulun and Naphtali it's like light shining in the darkness. When Jesus calls Peter and Andrew and James and John they give up their careers in order to follow Jesus and become evangelists. And finally think about the dramatic transformation that comes about in the people whose lives were healed by Jesus Christ in that third story. So all three of these points about the way Jesus dramatically transforms people's lives. So firstly, let's think about Jesus's light dawning upon a people dwelling in darkness. You know this to be true, when a light shines in the darkness, the light transforms the darkness. If you ever walk into a room and it's pitch black and then you turn, in the, turn on the light, the room dramatically transforms as the light comes on. And so this story is a story about Jesus dramatically changing the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali. Have a look at verse 12. Previously in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has travelled southwest from the town of Nazareth to Bethany. And at Bethany, Jesus is baptised by John the Baptist. That happened in Matthew chapter 3. He then, from his baptism, is driven out by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, into the Judean wilderness. And it's in the Judean wilderness where he's tempted by Satan and Jesus 
overcomes Satan. He rebukes Satan by quoting words of scripture and does not succumb to the temptations that Satan offers. Jesus shows us his righteousness and his goodness in the wilderness of Judea. And Jesus for a time remains in Judea until he hears that John the Baptist has been arrested. And then, as you can see in verse 12, when he hears that John the Baptist has been arrested, he travels north back to Nazareth first, and then he goes and lives in Capernaum. He's gone to a region of Israel called Zebulun and Naphtali, two northern tribes of the nation of Israel. And so what we see in verse 12 is as John the Baptist's ministry ends, Jesus's ministry truly begins. John had been preaching this amazing message, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. But then he's arrested and so he can no longer preach that message. And so Jesus arrives. Jesus comes and begins his ministry and he preaches exactly the same message. You can see that in verse 17. Jesus comes and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Turn from your sin and follow me. For the kingdom of heaven has come near in me, the king of the kingdom of heaven. And since I have come to earth, this is the beginning of the start of the kingdom of heaven being established here on the earth. So turn from your lives of sin and follow me, preaches Jesus Christ. And you'll see that Jesus preaching in this region fulfills a prophecy from the book of Isaiah. Now you may have noticed, I don't know whether you've noticed this, but Matthew really enjoys using the word fulfill. In fact, we're in Matthew chapter four, and this is the sixth time in four chapters that Matthew has used the word fulfill to describe something about Jesus's life. Jesus, uh, Matthew loves to talk about Jesus as the one who fulfills. Some people have called, the Ma- called Matthew the gospel of fulfillment. And this is a really good way of thinking about Jesus's life. Jesus is the Messiah, the one who was prophesied about in the in the Jewish Old Testament. And so Jesus's life fulfills all the prophecies about him in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfills everything that was necessary in order to be our savior and to rescue us from sin and death. Jesus is truly one who fulfills all our needs, all our requirements in saving us. But I really want to focus on the the language of Isaiah's prophecy quoted by Matthew in verses 15 and 16. And, And you'll see in that prophecy that Isaiah and Matthew describe Zebulun and Naphtali as dwelling in darkness. I don't know if you remember, uh, about a month and a half ago, uh, we were preaching through the book of Isaiah, preaching on Isaiah chapter 9, and we saw this quote in its original context. And we talked about the way that Zebulun and Naphtali, these two northern tribes of Israel, had suffered at the hands of foreign invaders. Uh, In fact, in 2 Kings chapter 15, Naphtali in particular is described as suffering at the hands of the Assyrian king. King Tiglath-Pileser carries off Jews from Naphtali and takes them back into the Assyrian empire and takes them as captives, as slaves. 
And so these two tribes of Israel, Zebulun and Naphtali, knew great oppression, knew struggle and knew difficulty. They, they truly were tribes that had known the darkest, known the darkness of life through this oppression, through foreign rulers over their tribes. Zebulun and Naphtali dwelt in darkness. I wonder whether you remember another recent sermon, the sermon by Chris Kilby, when he preached on Psalm 23. Psalm 23 begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's a wonderful psalm about God leading us and caring for us and providing for us as a shepherd cares and leads and provides for his sheep. And one of the lines of that psalm says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And so what we what we learn in that sermon from Chris Kilby and from Psalm 23 is that God, our shepherd, leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. Even now, as we as we kind of live in the shadow of coronavirus, this this pandemic that has changed the world because it's left this shadow of death over all who live in the world. But we know as Christians that we're being led through that valley. So although we might be in the shadow right now, we know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. That We know that there's an end to the valley that is coming. And our good shepherd, Jesus Christ, is leading us through the valley. And so we will one day emerge from the valley of the shadow of death. It's wonderful hope in that message of Psalm 23. We as Christians are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But these tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali are dwelling in darkness and in the shadow of of death. So every morning, these Jewish people, these Israelites in these tribes, wake up and their life is shadowed by the thought of death. Each and every one of them know that one day they will die. And so all they have, to, as they dwell in the shadow of death, as they dwell in darkness, all they have to do is, is wake up and make the best of their day. Do all they can. But unfortunately, it's difficult to enjoy life in their current situation because they are oppressed. They are ruled by foreign invaders. And so, in a sense, these people in Zebulun and Naphtali really are living in darkness. They're dwelling in this place. They're not walking through. They're staying in this same dark and difficult place. That truly shows their hopeless situation. I, I, I imagine this was a place that lacked joy because of the shadow of death and the struggle that these people had gone through. Maybe there's some of you watching this morning who feel a bit like that. You've lost hope. You've run out of joy. Well, there is encouragement here for you in Matthew chapter 4. Because Zebulun and Naphtali had run out of hope. They'd run out of joy. But then Jesus comes. Jesus comes to the people dwelling in darkness. He brings hope to the hopeless. He brings joy to the joyless. He preaches truth over falsehood. He preaches and brings justice over oppression. He brings salvation rather than struggle. This really is a new creation moment for these two tribes. And it might be a new creation moment for you. Do you remember in Genesis chapter one? It says there was darkness at the beginning of the world. And then God speaks. 
and brings forth light. So right at the beginning of creation, there's darkness and God speaks and brings light. And here again in Zebulun and Naphtali, there's darkness, but Jesus comes and brings light. And if your situation right now is full of darkness, pray for Jesus to come and shine his light into your heart and into your life and bring hope and joy and truth and justice and salvation. Jesus is the light of the world who comes and drives out the darkness in our hearts and our lives. Jesus radically transforms this region by his mere presence. And so if you need hope, joy, life, truth, justice in your life today, pray and ask Jesus to come into your life. Secondly, Looking at verses 18 to 22, Jesus calls you to be a fisher of men. Respond immediately. In these verses, in verses 18 to 22, you have Matthew's version of the call of Peter, Andrew, James and John. Now, if you read the other Gospels, if you read John and Luke, John and Luke give us more details about the lives of these disciples and the way Jesus calls them. So if you read the Gospel of John, you discover that Jesus has actually already spoken to Peter and Andrew before this event in Matthew chapter four, that they've had conversations, they've spoken, they've interacted with one another. If you read Luke's Gospel, You see that Jesus wasn't just walking by the Sea of Galilee, but actually he did an amazing miracle by the Sea of Galilee. And that miracle played a part in in convincing Peter to follow Jesus Christ. And so John and Luke have greater detail in their stories about the call of Peter. But Matthew, in his version in chapter four, strips away all that detail. And the impact of stripping all that detail away is that it brings a focus on two things in Matthew's version of the story. Two things that are in focus in Matthew's version. The first is the specific call that Jesus gives. He calls Peter, Andrew, James and John to be fishers of men in verse 19. We're going to talk about what it means to be a fisher of men. And the second thing that Matthew's account really draws focus to is the immediacy of the response from all four disciples. Have a look at verse 20. It says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And then have a look at verse 22. It follows exactly the same pattern. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. And so those three things are repeated. Immediately left and followed are repeated in verse 20 and in verse 22 and 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 so that immediacy of the response of the disciples is really brought into sharp focus in Matthew's account of this call so firstly let's think about being fishers of men and women and let me tell you this the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of fishermen and fisherwomen trying to catch others up into the wonderful kingdom of Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian watching this service this morning, you are called 
to be a fisher of men and women, to catch others up into the glorious kingdom of heaven. You know, this week, as I've thought about the call of Peter and Andrew and James and John, I've been convicted of my own failure to live out this calling that Jesus gives to every single Christian. Now, we've heard in Matthew's gospel in this sermon series so far how the kingdom of heaven is the only eternal kingdom, how all, all other kingdoms will be broken into pieces when Jesus comes again at his second coming. And we, we've heard how the kingdom of heaven is led by the glorious King Jesus, a king of righteousness, of goodness, a king of hope, a king of joy, the king of light. We've seen how this kingdom of heaven is wonderful and eternal. And so in knowledge of that, how can we not go fishing in order to share the truth of the kingdom of heaven with others? How can we not be throwing out nets and throwing out um, throwing out uh, fishing lines in order to hopefully catch people into receiving the good news of Jesus Christ? Why are we not living that way? Why are we not evangelists in our daily life? We need. We, this is a glorious calling. It's a wonderful calling. And if we truly love people, we will be fishers of men and women seeking to throw out the truth of the gospel in order that we might gather some into the boat. I watched a video by an evangelist called Roger Carswell this week. I hadn't actually heard of him before, but um, from this video, he came across as a wonderful, wonderful man. He has shared the gospel with a non-believer every day for the last 50 years. Isn't that extraordinary? This man just loves Jesus so much that he's always wanting to share the good news of Jesus Christ. He's truly living as a fisherman. He's it's like, it's my job to catch fish. So I'm, go I'm gonna share the gospel with as many people as possible. I'm gonna put the bait out there and hope that someone bites so that I can reel them into believing in Jesus Christ. And in this video, he was saying that we can use lockdown as an excuse not to be evangelists. It's harder in lockdown to share the gospel with people. But what um, Roger Carswell is doing is writing postcards. He's writing postcards to his friends and to his family. And then once he got through his friends and family, he started writing to local shop owners and managers and even managers of banks and MPs. He was just using all the resources he had available to him to share the gospel. We need to do the same. Brothers, sisters of Christchurch, Fareham, we need to go fishing. You know, the behaviour of the disciples in this passage should challenge us. Jesus calls, they respond immediately. And did, did you notice that for both sets of disciples, for Peter and Andrew and for James and John, there was great cost involved in that decision that they made immediately. Peter and Andrew leave their nets. They give up their career as fishermen and go full time following Jesus Christ, being evangelists. James and John, they leave their boat. They leave their career as fishermen and they leave their father. It seems like a family business that James and John are leaving, but they're leaving it in order to follow Jesus and to fish for men and women. Some of you will hear this sermon on being fishers of men. And you will agree, you will agree that we as Christians are called to be fishermen. But you won't respond immediately. 
You'll be sitting there nodding your head right now, but you won't do anything about it immediately. And then as time goes on, this challenge will fade into memory and your enthusiasm for being an evangelist will fade into memory. And ultimately, as your zeal wanes, you will do nothing. Despite agreeing with what I'm saying right now, you won't do anything, you won't act, you won't take up whatever means you have available to you to share the gospel with your friends and family because you don't respond immediately. And I pray that you would not be one of those people. Follow Jesus immediately and go fishing today. Go fishing this week. Send some texts to your non-Christian friends and family. Write some emails, write letters. Share this service on your social media platform. Pray for non-Christians and seek God's wisdom for how to reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ. Be creative, be winsome, be loving and be wise. But let's not wait on this challenge. This isn't the sort of invitation that you go, oh, okay, yeah, Jesus, I'll do that in a few weeks. No, this is an invitation now for us to step up and become fishers of men and women to share the glorious good news of the kingdom of heaven with people who are perishing in their earthly kingdoms. How can we wait? Let's let's respond immediately to this call and become fishers of men and women. So that's our second point and our second story. Jesus calls us to be fishers of men, respond immediately. Thirdly, let's look at verses 23 to 25, where we see that the good news of Jesus's kingdom comes with power and with healing. Look at verse 23 with me. Jesus travels throughout the region of Galilee. He goes to the synagogues where the Jewish Israelites are worshipping And he teaches them and proclaims the gospel of the kingdom. Now, as many of you will know, that word gospel means good news. And so Jesus is going into these synagogues and he's saying, I have good news all about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And then he's teaching the people why that is such wonderful news. He's teaching them about the hope that is in the kingdom of heaven. He's teaching them about the joy of the kingdom of heaven. He's teaching them about the eternal life that is available to all who trust in him. He's teaching them about forgiveness. He's teaching them about justice, all these wonderful things that come with the kingdom of heaven. And as he's teaching, Jesus is revealing himself as the good king of the kingdom. And he's saying, because of this good news, repent, turn away from your former way of life and follow me and become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. It must have been wonderful to sit in those synagogues and hear the teaching of Jesus Christ as he taught the gospel, as he preached the good news of the kingdom. The same good news that we are to share as we become fishers of men and women. But his teaching is not just words. You see in in these verses, his proclamation of the gospel also comes with power. When the kingdom of heaven comes in its fullness. So the kingdom of heaven has started with Jesus' first coming. But Jesus will come again, his second coming. And when he comes again in the future, he will usher in 
the kingdom of heaven in its completeness here on the earth. And at that time here on the earth, there'll be no illness, no pain, no tears and no death. All evil will be eradicated. And so as a symbol of the kingdom of heaven breaking in, in Jesus's first coming and in this moment in Matthew chapter four, he heals every disease and every affliction brought to him. It must be wonderful to see all, all these people who needed healing, all these ill people, all these people with afflictions coming to Jesus, Jesus praying for them and then being healed completely and utterly. And so I want us to take three things from this kingdom moment as Jesus preaches and heals. The first is obvious but needs to be said. Jesus Christ is mighty to heal. This passage is an extraordinary declaration of Jesus's power. No wonder the crowds were coming from from Jerusalem and from Galilee and from the Decapolis and from Judea and from beyond the Jordan. People are coming from far away to hear Jesus and to be healed by Jesus. No wonder, because Jesus is displaying awesome power. Jesus is truly awesome in his ability and power to heal the sick and afflicted. The second thing I want us to learn from this story is the kingdom of heaven is not just a kingdom where human sin is eradicated. It is a kingdom where sin is eradicated. When Jesus comes his sec- in the second time to usher in the, the kingdom of heaven here on earth, there'll be no sin. There'll just be love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and that sin will be completely eradicated. It's also though, the kingdom of heaven is not just a kingdom where human sin will be eradicated, it's also a kingdom when all wrongs are put to right. Diseases, pains, death, epilepsy, paralysis, all of these things that are healed by Jesus in Matthew chapter four will be completely eradicated in the new heavens and the new earth. When Jesus comes in his fullness, when heaven is here in its fullness, the kingdom of heaven will put everything that's wrong with the world to right. Isn't it wonderful? The third thing I want us to take from this story in verses 23 to 25 is this. When we fish for men and women, we should expect our gospel proclaiming words to be accompanied by healings and miracles. Now, I'm not saying we should expect everyone to be healed. That authority is reserved for Jesus Christ. When when those who need healing are brought to Jesus, everyone is healed. For us, we know because of other passages of scripture in the Bible and because of our own experience that sometimes we pray for healing and God in his wisdom decides not to grant healing at that moment, but but to wait for a later date, maybe for Jesus's second coming. Sometimes healing, sometimes healings don't happen immediately, but we have to wait for them. Having said that, there is a pattern in the Gospels and in the book of Acts that when good news is proclaimed, it comes in word and in power. And that means there should be an expectancy in us as Christians to see the miraculous and to see healings. We are a church that loves to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I hope we do it boldly and regularly every week. We love to to preach it with word. But is there an expectancy and a boldness in our heart to see healings and the miraculous accompanying our words? 
Last week I said this. I said, do not test God. Don't desire miracles just for the sake of God proving himself to you. You know, there's an unholy way to desire miracles. But this week I'm saying when someone needs healing, when they're hurting, when they're ill, when they are afflicted, be bold to pray for healing and be expectant that God can do something amazing in the person's life whom you're praying for. That's desiring miracles out of compassion and love. And when we desire miracles in that sense, God will move mightily to accompany his word with powerful miracles. You know, I've met people with drug, drug addiction who the moment they believed in Jesus Christ, their drug addiction was gone. I've known people who by doctors have been given days to live and then a few days later have walked out of hospital completely healed. I myself have been healed. I remember I was going to a Wednesday evening prayer meeting and I text my hockey captain saying I cannot play on Saturday. My calf muscle is torn. It's broken. I'm limping into this church building right now. I can't play. I walked out of the prayer meeting, jumping and running because God had healed my calf as someone had prayed for me. The pain disappeared instantly and suddenly I was able to walk and run and jump freely and perfectly and completely. So I myself have known the healing hand of Jesus Christ in my life. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of healing. So let's be bold to pray and to ask that as we proclaim the good news of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus would also reveal himself with power by healing the sick and the afflicted. You might be a bold preacher, but are you a bold prayer? Or you might be a bold prayer, but are you a bold preacher? Let's be both those things. Let's pray for the sick, but also preach the truth. Let's preach the truth, but also pray for the sick. And so we've seen in Matthew chapter 4, that when Jesus comes, he radically transforms the lives of the people he meets. The tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, who had dwelt in darkness, saw transforming light. The disciples, their lives were transformed as they, laid, they left their jobs and followed Jesus completely in order to become evangelists. And the people in Galilee whose lives were healed, their lives must have been radically transformed by this encounter with Jesus Christ. And so if you're not a Christian watching this morning, I invite you now to pray and receive Jesus Christ and to ask him to transform your life. In fact, let me let me lead you in prayer. If you want to if you want to say amen at the end of this prayer, that just means I agree. And so if you're a non-Christian, say these words with me or just say amen at the end of the prayer as, as an agreement of praying this to God. Lord Jesus, I have heard this morning of your transforming power. And so, Lord Jesus, I ask you to shine your light into the darkness of my life. Would you give me hope and joy and truth and love, even in the difficulties that I now face? Lord Jesus, I've heard that you call people and people are called to follow you. And just like Peter and Andrew and James and John, I want to follow you this morning. And so I turn from my, my former way of life, I turn from the things I've done wrong in my past. And now I say, Jesus, King Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I've heard this morning, Lord Jesus, of how you heal people. And Lord, I ask for your healing to come upon me today. I pray particularly for the healing of, of sin in my heart. I pray for the healing of wrongdoing in my life, Lord God, that you would heal me and make me right with you. 
Lord, I, Lord Jesus, I know that you lived and that you died and that you rose from the dead. And so I turn, I repent of my sin and follow you with all that I am today. Shine your light on me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed that prayer this morning, then do get in touch with us. Message us on Facebook, email me, uh, duncan at christchurchfound.co.uk or leave a comment on our website or on YouTube. Um, however you want to get in contact with us, just tell us that you, you've prayed that prayer. We want to help you and to bless you and to draw alongside you and encourage you. So we would love to hear from you if you've prayed that prayer this morning. Christians, we worship Jesus Christ, the light in the darkness, and we must follow him in becoming fishers of men and women. And I think the message this morning is do not tarry, do not wait, but be obedient immediately today. Become a fisherman and seek to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And as you proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, also be bold to pray for healing and for miracles for those who need it. Show compassion in your prayer. Let's respond. Come on. Let's be like the disciples responding Im immediately. Let's leave things behind in order to follow Jesus and walk in his footsteps. And so Christians, I'm going to pray for you too. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have shone the light of Christ into our hearts and revealed salvation to us. Lord, I pray that now you would place an urgency in our souls. I, I pray that you'd pour out the Holy Spirit to give us boldness, that we might truly become fishers of men and women. Lord, I pray for people's names even now to be just be dropped into our minds, people that we need to share the gospel with, people that we need to speak to, people that we need to put bait on a fishing line and kind of throw it out and throw out our nets in order to catch these people up into the glorious kingdom of heaven. Lord, we love being citizens of heaven, but we want more people to enter into your love. And so we pray you raise us up as evangelists to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray we would also come with boldness to pray for healing and we'd see amazing miracles as we respond to this sermon. Lord, I pray we would not wait. I pray we would not um, tarry. I pray we would respond immediately in following you, in, in obeying the commands and challenges of Matthew chapter four. Come, Lord Jesus, and do this in our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.